Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So today's chapter from the Dhammapada is the, called the Sukhavaga. Uh, dukkha can be translated as an ongoing, um, continual state of profound discontent. Sukha is the counter to that, or the, the establishment of profound and pervasive contentment in all areas of our life. Um, the last chapter was the Buddha Vaga, where the Buddha described the qualities of an awakened human being, of an arahant. In this preceding chapter, <clears throat> he describes more the quality of what that means. And, and, the, uh, the, and he's referring to those people that have developed the Dhamma to that point of profound contentment as wise. And so we know that the, the wise or wisdom as it's attributed to the Dhamma is profound understanding and knowledge of Four Noble Truths. It's not some generalized wisdom. It doesn't uh, infer some wizened old guy sitting on a cloud somewhere that we might call you know, God or Lord or awakened. It's an actual human being who has developed the wisdom of understanding four noble truths. Uh, and through that understanding, we develop within ourselves our own inner poise and our own profound contentment with each and every moment that arises and passes away and each and every thought that we have is a thought that is rooted in profound contentment, which itself is founded in understanding. The Buddha's words. The wise live content within a hostile world. We just talked about that when we started our class today, didn't we? <clears throat> within a hostile world, the wise remain free of hatred. The world could use a few more wise people today, couldn't it? I mean, it's really, that's what I was noticing. The wise is, I mean, the world is really characterized today by um, almost institutionalized and uh, justified hatred. But all of that is rooted in human self-loathing and the belief in salvation. And there's a whole lot of saviors in the world today that seem to not be very wise. The wise live content within a world afflicted by craving. Craving, in its very basis, basic, is wanting anything to be different than it is. And what happens when we start compulsively seeking out all the things that are wrong? We lose the ability to see all, see all the things that are, that are right, all the things that are beautiful, all the wonderful human beings in this world that have an incredible way of thinking and looking at themselves in relation to the world. And we've taken that differences and applied hatred to it rather than wisdom. Within an afflicted world, the wise remain free of affliction. The wise live content within a world afflicted by greed. Within an insatiable world, the wise remain free of greed. That's liberty. The wise live content, possessing nothing. And this does not mean that we walk around uh, with we walk around in rags with no place to call our home or even a few bucks in our wallet. It doesn't mean any of that. And it doesn't mean we have to get rid of anything. It means that we're not owned by the things that we own. It means we don't cling to them. It means we don't need them 
to define who we are in this world. But it does not teach asceticism. The Buddha practiced that and he, taught, he called that, that level of asceticism as ignoble and painful. We're not to give up anything in this suit, in, in this dhamma, except that which we cling, crave for and cling to. And in that way, we have everything. The wise live content possessing nothing. The wise are sustained by peace and understanding rather than a hut full of coconuts. The fires of passion burn the hottest, meaning that is the worst experience that any human being can have in this world, in this human life. And passion is what is... Passion is almost presented as a, as a prerequisite for life. In order for us to have a human life, we must be passionate about it. For years and years, and I won't mention the, the author, but I followed a particular author who I was very enamored with who talked about the key to life is following your, your, your bliss, is the word that he used, following your passion. And I did that. And I kept running into roadblocks of things that weren't, things weren't great enough. I'd find something that I'm passionate about, passionate about and I'd achieve it, and I was disappointed. I was passionate about getting a new car for the first time in my life, and I still remember driving off that car lot the first time in my brand new, I think it was an 82 Cutlass Supreme. And as I was leaving the, the, the garage door, I felt great. When I hit the street, I felt awful because I realized I just lost 20% of my money. I couldn't appreciate what I was doing. Greed, aversion, and deluded thinking. Hatred is the highest crime. There is no suffering like the five clinging aggregates. The five clinging aggregates are the Buddha's description of the ongoing personal experience of suffering. There is no suffering like those five clinging aggregates. There is no higher peace than understanding. So those two lines are so important. There is no suffering like the five clinging aggregates, meaning a human being who is rooted in ignorance of four noble truths. But immediately the Buddha gives us the counter. He doesn't say you're lost. In fact, the Buddha never says that as human beings we're lost. We need salvation. He simply says we need to change our minds. There is no suffering like the five clinging aggregates, but if we change our minds, there is no higher peace than understanding. And it's just that direct. Craving is the worst disease. And again, the Buddha is being, very, is being nonspecific for a reason. He's not saying craving for food or craving for power, or craving, craving for pleasure, craving for a new mate, craving for a new set of golf clubs or a new cutlass. Craving in general is the worst disease. Wanting anything, particularly myself in this moment, to be any different than I am or that the world is. Craving is the worst disease. Conditioned thinking brings the worst suffering. Knowing this as it really is, the wise awaken. Knowing what? Knowing that craving is the worst disease and the conditioned thinking brings the worst suffering. The very first sutta that the Buddha gave was called the Dhammachaka Pavatana Sutta. And he gave that to his five friends that he was wandering around northern India, all looking for enlightenment. Excuse me. And a couple of weeks after the Buddha's awakening, he's wandering around uh, northern India, and his five friends are coming in the other direction, and they see the Buddha walking down the road. And they say, well, he abandoned us. He's no longer one of us. We're going to shun him. And as they got a little closer to the Buddha they realized that he had found what they were all looking for. And so they listened to his words. He gave them a very brief teaching on the Four Noble Truths. And at the end of that, that 
discourse, Kandana, one of those followers, his mind cleared, he awakened. And he said, all conditioned things that arise will pass away. And the Buddha then said to him, you are now Anakandana, meaning you are the one who understands. He understood Kandana at a very, very profound level. The quality of his own discontent was rooted in his conditioned thinking. And in that moment, he realized that all of his conditioned thinking that he had built and that had arisen in his lifetime can pass away. And it can pass away in this instant by simply changing our minds, going from right view to wrong, from wrong view to right view. Knowing this as it really is, the wise awakened. Good health is highly esteemed. Contentment is the greatest wealth. A trustworthy person is the best friend. Ending ignorance is the highest joy. I can attest to that. I think we all can. Having savored the taste of, of solitude and release, free of distress, free of greed, aversion, and delusion, the disciple drinks, drinks deep the taste of truth. Association with the noble ones is blissful. Encountering fools is stressful. We all know that. Association with fools, bring con- brings, with fools brings constant craving. Association with fools is painful as partnering with an en- enemy. Therefore, follow the noble one who is steadfast, wise, learned, arduous, a person of high integrity. Follow only such a person who is truly pure and wise. And I love how the Buddha finishes this, or as I translated it. Mm-hmm. Follow only such a person who is truly, wa- truly pure and wise as the moon follows the stars. How does the moon follow the stars? In an effortless way. It doesn't, it doesn't effort to do what it needs to do. And as wise Dharma practitioners, we engage in right, right effort, which is gentle and peaceful. It's always in one direction, and it's always pure because it's framed by the Eightfold Path. That's this week's chapter. Thank you. So, um, let's go around online first. Uh, Jeff, what do you have to say for yourself this morning? Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Uh, I guess I don't really have any wisdom to add. I, that may be a question. Please. Uh, the... Uh, I generally feel pretty content. Uh, often, my uh, when I don't, it's generally dealing with what I perceive as my own ignorance. And the way I feel most comfortable with that is not trying to overanalyze that so much, but just abandoning those kinds of self-referential thoughts and things. Is that that, appropriate that's, way to deal with it? Yes, that, that is the, the most appropriate way to deal with it. Because it, other than that, we get into analysis and blame and all the rest of that nonsense. We just recognize in that moment that I'm caught up in, in a fabrication. This is not me. This is not mine. We take a breath and do just what you described. Just recognize it and abandon it. Yeah, most often the most stressful fool I encounter is myself. Yeah, that's, a, that's great insight because it always is ourselves. You know, any, any discontent that arises, we tend to want to blame it on other people or other situations, but it's always in our minds that it's occurring. You know, the conflict is always in our mind. It's never outside of us. Thank you, Jeff. Good morning, Steve. Good 
Good morning, John. Good morning to everybody. Um, I like Dhammapada. It's kind of like so short and so straight to the point. Yeah. It's kind of strike me like uh, craving is one of the dangerous disease. And it's exactly what's happened. Is everybody has this experience, at least yeah. uh, our group. Uh, we have craving for something, we're starting to run like crazy around like with our heads and not thinking about cannot control and create a lot of stress but as soon we starting stop attached to this okay stress disappear yeah it's amazing yeah it is and it so it also points to the um the illusory nature of stress isn't it because once it's recognized and we and we abandon our own contribution to our stress, it does just disappear. But we're still in the same situation, aren't we? You know, the, the world is still uh, always stressful, the fires of passion, the Loka Sutta, but we don't have to participate in that. And, and it, 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 again, it's just that, that straightforward. Are we willing to disentangle ourselves from all those things that we are so enamored with in the past? That's the challenge. But again, it's just, just this direct way. Thank you, Steve. Good morning, Good morning Mary. Good morning, John. Good morning, everyone. Um, this really is quite profound in its simplicity and uh, it really narrowing it down to conditioned thinking coming up against craving. Um, it makes it sound so simple, um, but, um, you know, it's a daily chore for me to... Uh, whittle away at that conditioned thinking. And um, I'm fortunate to have this practice to help guide me. Yeah. <clears throat> me too. Thank you, Mary. I'm glad you joined us. Enjoy the rest of your hike. Thank you. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, John. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for asking. Um, yeah, I, I love that last line about the you know, the, the deeper meaning of that with the, the effortless effort, right? And, and I find in my practice where I'm trying or the conditioning is just going and it's trying to affect change, that, it, that that's the challenge, that's the difficulty and just letting that go and coming back to the, the breath and the mindfulness, you can't get through this by trying. You just, you just gotta let it, let it be. And uh, again, the, the, to Steve's point, like the Donald Pod is just so elegant, just sharp to the point. I, I love it. So thank you. I do too. Thank you. Nina, good morning. Good morning. Um, I just have this image in my mind of a dog chasing its own tail. <laughs> That's great. As I was listening to the teaching and how you can just really be um, trapped in your thinking. Um, that's all really. Yeah, <laughs> that's I, all that came up. But it was—it just feels like that. It feels like you can create this hamster wheel that you just get stuck in, unless you have a perspective or something like this that can kind of cut you out of it. Yeah, it, it's just great insight, Nina. Thank you for that. That—that's that really is what the Buddha considered. If it was—if it was—if he would be able to pierce that veil of ignorance that every human being clings to, this fabricated view of themselves that, that creates, 
you know, that wheel that we all get stuck on. And, and that's why he came up with an Eightfold Path, to do just what you described, to give us that perspective, to see what we're doing to ourselves. And there's no magic in it, is it? It's just, it's just a direct... No, but it can be like almost piercing. Like yeah. if you can just stop that process, it can really shut mm-hmm. it down. Yeah, it's again, so profound, really. But great insight, Nina, for for someone who's only been practicing for a couple of weeks. Yeah. That really, really, because that that's the heart of the matter, and it and it does pierce that veil of ignorance. It's, you, you even have the, you have the right words too. So, thank you. Thank you. Good morning, Dustin. How are you? Good morning. Yeah, and I realized going on what Nina said that even naming it a fabrication when you're in that spinning, chasing the tail is something that's beneficial for me because I'm stuck in stories all the time and not even knowing you're, you're stuck in there and then having something to name it for me is very beneficial. Oh yeah. And coming back to the breath, you know, having a technique, but even knowing that you're in that place or even knowing that you're suffering is very beneficial to me because I didn't know I was suffering. Ah, yeah. Life. <laughs> yeah. But my question is, um, like I suffer from migraines and, and physical pain and, and when I'm in that physical pain how can I not want things to be different it, it's such a again it's a great question and I think you're asking the right person I don't <laughs> suffer from migraines but I, I know people do my sister did yeah. until she passed um, I do have an awful lot of uh, leg and you know, lower back pain um, and I do the best I can I've had you know these minor surgery things to help Nothing, nothing really helped. The point I'm making, there's no, there's no craving in me trying to at least lessen the pain because I don't take it personal. I understand that this is, you know, this is a life that I'm having and it's not even a comparison, but everybody suffers. Some people have physical pain. Some people have mental pain. Some people become present and are still full of pain. I mean, we're just, just making some examples. So we're no different experiencing pain is not personal it happens to every human being and because i understand that i don't take it personal anymore for a long time uh, most of my pain comes from i did something stupid on a roof something i always told my employees never to do i did it i fell i broke my back and it's led to all this and for years i would go back and just playing it over my head like i could stop myself in midair and not not crash into the ground and going how stupid i was to do that thing I don't, I don't, it's just what happened, you know, and it, and it, it, is even, it wasn't even rooted in stupidity because it was just something I did. Maybe it's foolish, I guess it was, but I can't blame myself. I can't, I can't change it, but it doesn't mean I don't deal with it. You know, I took four aspens this morning when I got up, you know, knowing I'll be sitting here. Uh, it, it, so it, in a practical way, I address the pain, but I don't take it personal. I think you're starting to learn that too. Yeah, I notice when the pain comes, because I usually wake up with a headache, I notice that the first thing I do is blame myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's more painful? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's a conditioned mind. Again, it blames itself. It wants to keep creating the pain rather than... Yeah, that I did something wrong. Yeah. You look, yeah, you look for reasons. You're like, well, I eat yeah. too much sugar last night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not drinking enough water. Like, it's just boom. And then that's the... That fabrication or whatever is spinning, and then the pain is like secondary almost. Yeah, and you can't extricate yourself. It's just what Nina said. You get caught up in that, that wheel of that. And the Buddha described that too in the Nagara Sutta when he described his own awakening or getting stuck in this feedback loop 
of your of your fabricated views of self in relation to the world caught up in that veil of ignorance. And how would you escape from that? You can't unless you have a way of stopping that, of piercing this veil, of recognizing yeah. that there's pain. And then, uh, um, maybe I should teach because it's come up, there's, there's a sutta called the Salata Sutta, which mm-hmm. teaches about the, the uh, in, inflicting more pain in ourselves by sticking us with a, with a second arrow. So the initial pain of human life is like getting hit by an arrow. We insist on sticking ourselves with that second arrow through judging, through, through taking yeah. it personal. We can separate that. We can pierce that conditioned thinking and just feel the pain. And again, that's being a human being. Many people who teach Buddhism or religion or spirituality as salvation would teach that you have to escape that somehow. Well, right now, at 66 years old, if I'm going to have a human life, I have to have it with everything that's wrong with me if I'm supposed to or not to, if I'm going to experience all the things that are right. And in this moment, everything is as it should be. Mm-hmm. Does everybody understand that? Mm-hmm. Because it can't be any different. My legs hurt like hell right now. I'm not even thinking about it. But so what? This is the most meaningful moment I've ever had in my life. And the next one will be as well. And it's only because of the Dhamma that I can say that. I was as disappointed and discontent, probably more so than anybody in the world in history. <laughs> I believe that anyway. And it started when I was very young, too. And I was. I was an angry little little turd. You know, I, I had no reason to be, but I was. I mean, I grew up in a nice house with a, you know, great parents and some questionable siblings. And I hated it. But I hated it because I didn't understand what was going on around me, really. It wasn't, you know, again, it wasn't poverty or bad or anything. But I was miserable because I didn't know who the hell and what the hell I was. And that lasted until I came across the Dhamma. And in the meantime, I had a pretty good life. I built a business. I was making money. I bought some new cars. All of it was disappointing in the end until I came to the Dhamma. And now I have far less things, far less money, far less health. And as I said, this is the most meaningful moment I've ever had in my life. And you're all making it meaningful because you're bringing your presence to me. You're, you're mindfully present. And that's something that's rare in the world today, too. So thanks for listening to me. And thank you for that, what you said, both of you. That It's great insight. So. Thank you. Good morning, Becky. Good morning, John. Good morning, everyone. Um, <clears throat> when, when I first, when first started all this, we, or many times we have said... It's simple, but it's not easy. And that really, when you're in that loop and your mind, and you can recognize it early in the process of it happening, no matter, no matter how simple the reason, no matter what, you can feel your mind tighten when that's when that loop starts. Yeah. You can feel it tighten and at that moment you can change your mind. Yeah, in that moment. You can change your mind. You can just say I don't I don't have to feel like this. 
I can just, I can be over here. I can change my mind. And that, I experienced <coughs> this week a couple of times. And it's just so amazing. It's just so amazing, you know. And you realize, you realize that you're just doing it to yourself. Yeah. When your mind tightens, it's you doing it. It's no one else. Yeah. And even in, in the simplest ways, I mean the teeniest tiny ways, just one little story. <laughs> I have to go to the doctor. <clears throat> and now, now when you go to the doctor, you've got to fill out a lot of paperwork. And you've got to go through the COVID questions. And I had to do all of that while I was still in the car on my phone. And I was so proud of myself because I figured out all the... And you were not driving, right? Oh, no, I was in the parking lot. <laughs> I was in the parking lot. And they said, you have to do this before you come in. So I did it, and I did all the questions. And then they called me up and said, okay. You, they, then they started asking me the questions again, the COVID questions, again, on the phone after I just... And for one instant in my mind, I was, like, angry. I was like, why are they asking me that? I just, and that just happened in an instant. I realized this isn't, it's not, let that go. Just, the, just let that go. And I just answered their questions. I was calm. That all went away. But, and that's a simple thing. But it's just amazing because you can just feel your mind and then you can just say, Oh, change your mind. Yeah. And that brought meaning and in that moment. And then you feel so much better. Yeah. You feel good. You like the person on the phone. <laughs> the person on the phone likes you. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, that's just a simple, but you know, there was more profound moments, but that was one I just wanted to <clears throat> say because it was simple. You feel this calmness come over you immediately when you do that. Yeah. And it's rooted in a well-concentrated mind that's able to do that. That's able to yeah. stop it, which is, I also that's what you've got to get to. Yeah, that's what the, where the jhana meditation comes in. Yeah. It has a ripple effect, too, because the woman on the phone who was asking you the COVID questions is like, I don't want to ask people these COVID questions no. again. Yeah. You know? But you could have gotten mad, and then her whole day would have been impacted. Yes. By another person who was mean to in, her on the phone. In fact, when I went into the building, I'm sitting there waiting, and I hear her on the phone again, answer asking these questions, and then she goes, "Well, they just want us to ask you the questions again." And I thought, that woman on the other end did what I stopped myself from doing, and. So then I felt good all over again. I'm really cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 you are, you are, you are, because and, and, and you're able to recognize it's pure Dhamma. We are able to write, Nina described it too, the suffering that another person is in. They're not, that woman isn't there to annoy me, just to ask me exactly. the question. But I could certainly annoy her, couldn't I? Exactly. And it I don't have to. more suffering, right? Yeah, and I, well, again, it's such a perfect example of how suffering builds in the world. In, in a very simple, in, in but a, that's how it happens. In, that's how wars start. That's right. It, I mean, it really does. You know, think about, think about World War I and King Ferdinand. It was a misunderstanding, wasn't it? 
and you know, disagreement between two people that led to a world war. We do that all the time, but we can do this all the time. We can. We can just take a breath, realize there's nothing here that can hurt me. Nothing. Especially this woman. I had the same experience with a, with a woman yesterday. I had to get, yeah, answer all those questions for some surgery coming up. And she was going on and on, and, and the machine broke, and she said, oh, I, I got to go fix it. She, I said, I said, just, I said, I'm in no rush. Take it easy. Take your time. And she says, you're the first person ever said that to me. <laughs> and I, I'm, not, I'm not great because I said it. It made my day better to say it. It makes you feel better. Yeah, I don't want this yeah. person rushing around and doing all that stuff. I mean, it, that's, mm-hmm. that, that's stressful to me if I buy into it. Mm-hmm. But take it easy, you know. And it's not that, it's not a Pollyannish way of saying, you know, let's all just get along. No. It's not that. It's, I've ended, you know, to a great extent, the conflict that I grew up with in my mind. And so I don't have to dump it on other people. That's the real responsibility we have in this world. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's how we're truly end conflict in the world, if we can just end it within ourselves. John? Yes, Brian. Or was, I'm sorry, yes, Jeff. Uh, the line, hatred is the highest crime, mm-hmm. is, uh, as I see that, I interpret that as a crime against yourself yeah. Yeah. as yeah. much as a crime against anybody else. Yeah. You've, you've simply added to the sum total of hatred in the world. Yeah, I, I think yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And this is, I, I know you've all heard me say this, and some people kind of look at me a little funny when I say that. The, the common uh, predominant human problem is self-loathing. And that's another word would be self-hatred. And we do that, we'd be, whenever we find that we are inadequate or some way, in some way or broken or we need something to be added to us, that's self-loathing, it's hatred. For, for this, and for the simple practical reason is, I can't be any different than I am right now. And at any no point in my life could I have been any different than I was. None of us ever can be. Understanding that is could only, at least as far as I know, can only come through the Eightfold Path and understanding that is true freedom and liberty. And, and Popeye had it right all those years ago. I am what I am. That's it. <laughs> Hello, Kevin. So many, um, like every line of it is just, you know, so meaningful and it's just hard to, it's just all true and it's so hard to pick out something and everything. But one line that really strikes me is you know, where they said, having savored the taste of solitude and release, the disciple drinks deep the taste of truth. Mm-hmm. And it, it is true. I mean, the, the Four Noble Truths are true. No one could refute that they're true. But that not everyone would be willing to accept it or to oh, yeah. follow it. So yeah. I'm just so glad that we are able to know it. Yeah, you, you, thank you for saying that too. That they, uh, there's a lot of um, interpretations of what the Four Noble Truths really are, and and honestly, the Four Noble Truths in the Eightfold Path uh, are almost always uh, universally discounted. Uh, for twenty years in modern Buddhism, I I might have heard the terms, but I never ever ever heard anyone teach what the Four Noble Truths or an Eightfold Path or how to do it ever. Uh, and again, it's not a 
condemnation of anything. That you can't teach something you don't know. But when I finally realized it, and again, this is, this is why I talk about how remarkable it is that these teachings from 2,600 years ago are still here. Here they are. You know? And if I could see it, anybody could see it. And it is. It's, it's just that way. It's, this is the truth. And when you, under, when you know the truth about anything, that subject you, you happen to be peaceful with, aren't you? We happen to know the truth about human life. That's why we can be at peace with human life. So. Thank you, Kevin. Andrew, good to see you this morning. <laughs> good morning. Well, it's nice to be here after a long absence, yeah. and it's good to hear you know, this wisdom in the room as a refresher for what I had learned in the past. So, uh, as, as it's happened every time I've come to the Sangha, I tell myself, just take it easy. Yeah. <laughs> and that's all I have to ask. So good, keep taking it easy, but keep coming. Mm. Good to see you. Good morning, David. Hey, John. There is no greater peace than understanding. Mm -hmm. So, you have this truth, but you have to understand it, profoundly understand it. And I think of Dustin, with understanding, he can understand that second arrow, but that pain's still there. Right. And we, none of us can avoid any of it. We don't have control over it. Nope. We can modify it by what we do to our bodies and but yet there's got to be a, a peace knowing that you can you know take care of these self-inflicted pains okay. so thank you thank you all set good morning jen hi good morning good morning everyone um i just today i was just really thinking about uh the most compassionate thing we can do for ourselves is take to the Dhamma and awaken. Who said that? I mean, to, for, for the world. Yeah. The most compassionate thing we can do for the world. Yeah. And I think that also is reflected in hatred is the highest crime. Yeah. Because, you know, we think of hatred as, as being bad because it's mean to others no, it's not. but what I mean, we're not yeah. what we're not seeing is that it's mean to us yeah. just like what Jeff said it's just something that um, yeah is hurtful and causes more suffering and um, is completely unnecessary for our well-being. Oh yeah, counter to our well-being. Right. Yeah. But you know, I, I know that there would be. I, I've seen it in my own mind. Argument, argument in the contrary, like that. You need hatred. You need to hold on to hatred because it will protect you. Yeah. Or it will ferment change, and it's just the opposite. Isn't right. It? Mm -hmm. Yes. You used the right word, mean, because that's. I, I, I was trying to think of what. It, what is it? Like, I always try to boil things down. Mm -hmm. And what I was looking at yesterday on the news is this, this, this underlying worldwide meanness. Mm -hmm. it, it, we, we are just so mean to yeah. each other. Yeah. And I, I, again, I, I haven't been around all that long. 66 years on this planet is not a long, long time. But in my 66 years, I don't remember ever seeing this kind of meanness between people. I will and say. the justifiable <clears throat> meanness, you yeah. know, but rooted in that salvation that you know, I can be mean to you, I can cancel you, I can hate you because I know what's better. I know this I know how you should be. And 
I don't know. It's it it, it it's getting to be. Um, I think it's getting to be uh, a point, and, I, and maybe I saw. I don't want to get too deep into what I looked at, but it might be getting to the point where people are realizing that we have to step back. We're we're really getting too close to an edge here, because of our own meanness. Uh, I hope so. But I you know. I just want to I want to just say one thing about that is that if um, to Nina's you know right mm-hmm. Nina's point. Um, the ripple effect is um, very, you know, as all of us have experienced, when you get into the world, you can very easily affect a significant number of people that you are around by just your countenance. You don't have to be preaching. You don't have to talk about the Dhamma. I'm not knowing my personal experience you know just having a few you know I've 137 teenagers um, just a few count comments and a few things to that that um, encourages calmness and kindness can be huge can change an entire 80 minute period um, and because because you are talking about the practical application yeah, in a in yeah. a modern classroom yes, which is a yes. I want to make sure people know what you're talking right. about right mm-hmm. yeah. absolutely because because human beings want to be kind yeah, that's that's they do. that's in us so 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 you know just i know that it, when watch, watching the news can be yeah i think it's also framed by a lot of hatred too so there's that piece Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it is. I mean, I know it's like that. hatred is exciting. Yeah, right. But it's what sells. It yeah, puts, exactly. Puts exactly. butts in the seat. Yeah, yeah. So right. practitioners will let that wash over them. Right. Yeah, and I, that's yeah. right. And and what you know, it, it, it was for my whole life. I thought, why doesn't somebody start, you know, just a, a good news channel? And I think I know the answer because it wouldn't make any money. But. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. but yeah, but we but we we get so caught up in. In all the things that are wrong, and again, it seems like we're way too far on that extreme that we don't see all the things that are right. I mean, it's not in the future that things are going to get better; they're already better. Yeah. They are. I mean, the 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 world, even even with you know the I don't want to get too deep into politics. Yeah. Things are better today in all areas that people are screaming about than they've ever been. <coughs> And it seems to me that all we have to do is stop being so mean to each other and live. And they'll just get better and better. They always have. You know? But we're getting into each other's way. Except Rom. Good morning, Rom. That's true. Everybody's in my way. Yeah. Yeah, I was looking at this, this contentment and um, how <clears throat> what a low-key word it really is. Mm-hmm. And when you're, you know, the Four Noble Truths and, and, and the Eightfold Path are, in, in the world, a, a pretty hard sell. Yeah. Especially if, if you tell people that at, at the end of that is contentment. 
Yeah. If you stopped at the first one, you could get away with it. Yeah, but, you know, contentment, you know, you, you see people heading for the exit yep. already. That's all. That's all. Or I can't be content in all the discontent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, a, that's the other thing. And um, it's not until you get people to understand the level of discontent that they are living with. 24 7 mm -hmm. that you that you finally are able to 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 get to that um, but uh, yeah it, it's such a simple word and, and yeah. you know the first time it really smacked me was in 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 one of the Dhammapada things that were yeah. I've realized this is what it is yeah. it's, it's just plain contentment because I realized that this my whole search, my whole life, you know, 50 years of doing this, was fueled by discontent. Yeah. And, and finally, and, and rather and than accepting discontent yeah, and understanding. And realizing it, yeah. that I am in discontent here. Yeah. So I got to do something about it. Yeah. You know, I can't hide it. I can't cover it over. I can't go look somewhere else for something else. It's just that there is discontent here. Yeah. I better deal with it. And where is it? Where does the discontent reside? It's just right in there. You yeah. know, it's all in, it's the Aryapariya Sutta. You know, the noble and ignoble searches. You got to look for where you're going to find the answers, or you're not going to find the answers. Right, right. Yeah. You have to go. You're heading to a lot of blind alleys. Uh, yeah. On, on, on the search. But. Yeah, you, you're right. That the, the the world stops at the first noble too. Everybody will accept. Yeah, there's suffering in the world. Mm -hmm. But when you say <laughs> there's a very simple solution to the suffering in the world. Nobody wants to go there. Very few people have that little bit of dust in their eyes that are willing to take responsibility for their own discontent. Mm -hmm. Because when you do that, then you can end it. You know? But you first have to accept that. And again, the Buddha gave us such brilliant teachings on this that seem at first a bit mystical, like the teachings on not-self. But again, it relates directly to this discontent. We're discontent, I'm discontent, or I certainly was in years past, because I didn't know who I was and what I was. That was a source of my discontent. I blamed everything and everybody out there, but it was me. And when I changed my mind, I became much more content. Except when my dog barks in the middle of the night. Poor <laughs> uh, So, let's take this wonderful uh, contentment that we have established in our refuge and take it out into the world. Like, like Becky described today, it's at the moment at the point of contact that we practice the Dhamma, that we practice wise restraint. And even if we momentarily lose our minds, as Becky said, all we have to do is recognize it, take a breath, come back into our body, and we're living contented in a very discontent world. So, wonderful class this morning. We'll finish with Metta as we always do. So again, find your relaxed meditative posture, gently close your eyes, gently close your mouth, and become mindful of the sensation of breathing. And let that mindfulness of your in-breath and your out-breath uh, unite your mind and your body. The Buddha's words on metta, from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. 
Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class this morning. Thank Peace. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.